<laughs> this is Scott Thornton, and you're listening to the Sheriff Podcast. of the sheriff guys first off the bat i just want to point out how much my team appreciates the support that we're getting for our podcast guys i got news today that not only are we in the top 40 now and the fastest podcast to reach the top 40 in canada but we're on three other charts guys we just made great britain we are on the beautiful country of sweden and we, as of today, we are back on the beautiful US of A charts for hockey podcasts, which is very, very, very big accomplishment. And I want to thank all the members of my team, Kyle Warner, Danny Granger, Art, everyone else that's involved. And now for the more exciting, guys, we have a very special guest today. He is the guy that I think of when I think of the team that I played for the longest in my career, when I think of the Rochester Americans, I think of Scott Metcalf. I think of Mr. Amherst. And guys, without further ado, our special guest today, Mr. Scott Metcalf. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. Great to see you guys. I'm uh, a little excited. This is going to be fun. Awesome. Awesome. Mr. Kyle Warner, how are you doing tonight? I'm fantastic now that we got through the mess that was the Sheriff Podcast inaugural uh, Sean screwing up the entire show in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now, just to add to that, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be talking about a lot today. And part of the stories that we're going to be talking about is the fact that Mr. Scott Metcalf, Mr. Amherst, was actually roommates with Mr. Rob Ray for consecutive seasons. Okay. So now part of that. Razor has a, a rule named after him called the Rob Ray rule. It means that you cannot have your jersey come off in a fight, and if you do, you will be tossed with a two-minute penalty penalizing your team. There is now a Scott Metcalf rule. That is that McMorrow cannot be in charge of anything to do technically with the show. And I'm going to have to humbly accept that Scott Metcalf rule. <laughs> That's good. We'll get all the glitches out of the way and... Now let's get story time working. That's right. That's right. So, Scotty, I'm really excited about this, buddy, because I've been kind of waiting to really be able to talk to somebody that has really embraced the city of Rochester. Okay. The city of Rochester is such a big deal to me. It's such a big part of my journey. Playing for the Amherst was part of it. Right. But I'm yep. talking about the city, man. I'm talking about the region. I'm talking about Monroe County. I'm talking about the whole thing. Now, when I think of anybody, I think of you. You are, to me, what Rochester Americans means. The type of player that you are, that you were, that you are past and present. The type of person that you are, Scott. The, type, the way that you live your life, 
the way that you never give up, the history that's involved with you, the team and you, to me, it's through and through. You're also the all-time penalty minute leader for this historic franchise that some say is the second oldest team in the AHL. I'm still not sure how that works. Second to Hershey being first. Now, Scott, did you ever think that you would end up embracing a city that you played for, for hockey, being a guy from Toronto? Um, to be honest with you, no. Um, I got traded from the Edmonton organization. Uh, I was a first-rounder to Edmonton, and I got traded to uh, Buffalo, and I went up for my first game in Winnipeg, and I got an assist my first night in Winnipeg, and uh, we were going into Chicago next. And they sent me down for a Sunday night game, late Sunday night game in Rochester. And as a young Canadian boy, I'd never been out of Canada f f for very much at all, except some tournaments and stuff when you're a younger kid. Uh, maybe a few games in the American Hockey League uh, playing in Adirondack and Rochester uh, with the uh, uh, Cape, uh, not Cape Britain Oilers. It was the Halifax Oilers, uh, Nova Scotia Oilers. And uh, to be honest with you, uh, when I got traded here, uh, to be honest, I hated the city, hated it um, as a young Canadian. I didn't know uh, my way around shit, to be honest with you. Yeah. Now, I kind of understand what you mean by that because, I mean, the cities in the States are kind of different than what we're used to, like uh, up in the Golden Horseshoe, like in, in the Toronto and the surrounding areas. Um, but the one thing that I realized being there, you know, multiple years is that there's such incredible different parts to the city. And Scott, when I was doing my research, there was a couple interviews that I saw that you did where there was a time where you got introduced to a different part of the city. And that was really when you started enjoying playing in Rochester. Do you think you could? Absolutely. Um, uh, my first year, I, I was, I was uh, because I was traded near the deadline, I was, kind of the outcast on the team and like you know um in Edmonton uh we were always together as a group of guys and in Buffalo it seemed like a group of guys went here group of guys went there and I found that even in Rochester and then when I got to Rochester I took a guy's ice time who was pretty popular on the team by the name of Richard Idu and I felt really bad for him because he's a good guy and you know and I got put in this situation where we we would be able to joke around with Ron Lowe in Halifax, but John Van Boxmeer wasn't very well liked by the guys on the team, and I would joke around with Boxy. So I I kind of painted myself into a doghouse just by living by Hall uh, by Halifax's um, kind of team rules. And then I was in an apartment by myself, and uh, I had to kind of learn everything really quickly. And I didn't like it. But the following year, I met a guy by the name of Tony DeCesar. And Tony DeCesar is, uh, God rest his soul, he's one of my good friends. He stood up for me in my wedding. He introduced me to the other side of Rochester. And uh, uh, a lot of my great friends are outside of hockey all the time because I was a, a bit of a worldly guy i read a ton of books i do kind of different things and but tony d introduced me to what rochester was it's a blue collar city a bunch of great people and uh, i'm forever in his debt for uh helping me fall in love with rochester now 
when when you first got to Rochester, I guess that would have been the time when the city was still booming. Like Kodak was still a stronghold and Xerox was going strong and right. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and the, I think that they had actually, when you got there, it was just a few years after they had actually kind of rebuilt downtown from the, the unfortunate events that happened in the seventies with a little bit of the rioting in the city. So like, yeah, you got there at a pretty booming time. So I couldn't even imagine when your friend introduced you, you know, to the real city, how exciting that must have been. I, I, it was it was exciting, but at the same time, I knew I was there to play hockey, and I always tried to, you know, I had a, I had two, a one simple rule. I never went out the night before a game or two nights before a game. I never went out of the house. I never went out for a beer. I never did anything. If anything, I went and worked out, and uh, it was a good rule to stick by uh, because uh, I never found myself uh, tired for games and especially playing sometimes four games and five nights like we did many times there's no room for it you can only go out and have a beer on sunday that's it yeah no scott no i, I i've been a big fan of yours for a long time and Thank you. and the reason for yeah oh no problem brother and the reason for that is just because you know how how big of a character you are the passion that you brought with your game when i watch like youtube fights or old clips of yours man did you ever go into that Full of adrenaline, and I just love it. What I want to know, you grew up in, in Toronto, correct? Yes. Okay, so little Scotty in Toronto, what were you like in grade school, like young Scotty? Were you a troublemaker <laughs> oh, or were man. you a good kid? Um, I, my dad was a very strict guy. My dad and mom were both very strict. Um, but I found ways to get in trouble. My big problem is I had a January birthday, right? So I always was a little taller than everybody else at my age group. And so the guys from the upper age groups would always want to fight me. And I wouldn't back down. And believe it or not, Shane Corson was a year above me. I was in Barry at the time. Shane Corson was, a, and he said, I, I was in fights almost every day going home from school. I was in stuff because... Guys wanted to pick on me, and I wouldn't take it. I wouldn't take it at all. I got the shit beat out of me, but I wouldn't take it at all. And so uh, slowly, you know, you grow into your own skin. And uh, I, I thought um, I thought when I was a kid, I was always in trouble. I would, I would vandalize things. I had rocks in my hands, going to go through a plate glass window. And one time I looked at the rock, I looked at the window, and I said, my dad's going to kill me if I do this. So – you know, good strict dad won out many times. No. So I think it's fair to say that you got in a fair share of trouble then, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. All kinds, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right on. <laughs> so now, so now, Scotty, the fact that you got now, now you ended up playing for Kingston when you're in, when you played major junior, right? In the OHL. That's a pretty good spot for a guy from Toronto because you're not too far, but you're not close either. It's a nice little two, two and a half hour ride down the 401, okay? Now, you must have had a really good squad there, buddy, because I'm, I'm a, like, I always say I'm a stat guy. Your stats in junior are, are really, really impressive, my friend. Do you remember the, the crew in Kingston? Because it looks like you guys did pretty well, man, and you, you did, definitely stacked up the numbers. Okay, um, my first year, 
Kingston was terrible. And we had Jeff Chikrin, myself, um, uh, Chris Clifford, who I think has all-time wins for, for Kingston, and, um, and a bunch of us. And I don't want to speak ill of our veterans, but our veterans weren't the toughest guys on the planet. And uh, my first game, one of my very first games, I went was on the road in Sioux, St. Marie, and I went hard to the net. And all I did was go hard to the net. I didn't do anything. I stopped. The goalie makes a save. I stopped. And the Sioux St. Marie defenseman's gloves are off, and he's beating the piss out of me. And so uh, I get on the bus, and I I go look in the mirror at, in Sudbury. And I got a black eye, a split lip, all that kind of stuff. And I go like this. That's never going to happen again without me throwing a punch or doing something to, to rebuttal that. And, and uh, um, with that, the, ne the next night in Sudbury, I had a goal and assist was the game's uh, first or second star. And as a 16-year-old, I led my OHL team in penalty minutes, which I was very proud of. As a 16-year-old, you racked up the penalty minutes for sure. That was one of the things that I was most impressed of. But another thing, Scotty, and I do mention this to the players that I see that, that embrace this, you improved every single year, man, in Major Junior. I don't know if you've realized that. Like, your goal totals alone, your first year you had 25, second year you had 27, your third year you had 36. You keep going up and up and up, okay? And what that means to me is that every single year you worked hard every summer to prepare for that next season. You also embraced the system of the team because you improved as a player. And that's the only time that that happens. Right. I think, and that's I, really impressive. To, sorry. Go ahead, Scotty. Please. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I, I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Is, um, I think that that group of guys, we all improved. Like we stayed together that same group of guys for almost three full years. And we brought Kingston out of the, out of the doldrums to make the playoffs for the first time in something like 12 years or something like that. I, I, that could be an exaggeration. I'm not hundred percent sure, but we went from playing in front of 2000 people come playoff time that we started knocking people out of the playoffs playing in front of four or 5,000 and the, and the city really embraced us. I mean, we had guys like, doing the heavy lifting every night, Herbie Ragland, Mark LaForge, Jeff Chikrin, myself. We had about six or seven guys who would throw down and guys who went on to NHL, tough guys. And it was, uh, it, I, I, I believed that if I didn't have 25 goals and about 250 minutes in penalties, it wasn't a good year for me in junior level. In pro, it was 200 and 200, or excuse me, 20 and 200. If I didn't have that, I didn't have a good goals. No, sorry. Yeah, excuse me. Misspoke. Yeah. But uh, that group of guys, we all improved. And they traded me in my fourth year because I was an underage draft choice. They traded me at the deadline. And I think we could have, if we had to stay together, I think we could have gone a long way. Now let's talk about this trade because that was my next question, Scott. So now you get traded from Kingston to Windsor. Now, I'm going to assume that Windsor was a powerhouse that made a trade to get a guy that they felt was the missing piece. You guys went on quite a run, my friend, that playoffs. Yeah. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about that run? Um, yeah. I'll, uh, it doesn't hurt when your centerman's Adam Graves. Uh, 
And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, the one thing about gravy was, and he told me this, and I was very surprised, is that when I got there, he he didn't stand up for himself very much. And he saw me fighting some of the other team's heavyweights and going anybody. I didn't care, you know, and uh, uh, Adam Graves started scrapping and he said, Metter, I watched you. We're both the same size. And I kind of, you kind of taught me how to fight. So it was kind of nice. And to watch gravy go on and have the career that he had is just amazing. It's a, and we didn't stay in touch, but I'm sure if gravy and I walked across each other, we'd have a great long conversation. He's a great guy and a good, and at the time, great teammate and a good friend. Scott, I'm sure anyone that crosses paths with you would love to, to just grab you, sit you down and pick your brain, buddy, especially if they know you. Trust me. But man, that that thank you for sharing that. That's some pretty cool information because I'm a huge Adam Graves fan, right? Oh, great guy. And, and, and I I love that grit that he has. So I gotta thank you, Scott Metcalf, for teaching Mr. Graves. To play with the grit that Metcalf plays with. Because, he, you know, he, he, he was following your footsteps. And it definitely helped him, man. If he added that to his game, he had an incredible career. Well, I think that's the only way I got points, too, is that I, I had to be a bear to play against. You know, like, uh, I always believed psychologically that I could beat people. Um, in the first period, they might start off with piss and vinegar. But by the third period, they were my puppet. I, I could have them. That's it. That's it. So now, so now, Scotty, you were a, a draft pick to the Edmonton Oilers. Now, this is probably a time that is probably the coolest place to get drafted to if you're a hockey fan. But it's got to be probably the most difficult place to get drafted to if you're an aspiring NHL hockey player with the dynasty that they had in Edmonton. Now, you got drafted one year the, the the one year after they won their first cup, is that correct? It was the year they won the first cup, yes. The year they won their first cup. So the beginning of the dynasty, Scott Metcalf is drafted in the first round to the Edmonton Oilers. Okay. Now, when you went to training camp as an 18-year-old, what was that like to see all those superstars from Edmonton Oilers dynasty? Uh, it was overwhelming, um, especially as an 18-year-old player. Uh, the level of of the speed of <laughs> of camp was incredible. It was nothing I've ever seen before. Um, the guys were fighting for jobs. We it was as an 18-year-old kid, I knew I wasn't ready for Edmonton. I, I knew I wasn't ready at all for Edmonton and uh, and the NHL. To be honest with you, uh, I think. Um, Going to Edmonton, I say this all the time. I was a plumber going to a brain surgeon's convention, and uh, I just, uh, <laughs> I just, it was very difficult um, and humbling. But at the same time, it set the bar high for your work ethic. Yeah, I mean, that team had so many superstars, Scott, and not only superstars, but like. Was Cementhead, Semeco, and Marty McSorley there during that stint? Yep, and and Kevin McClellan. Um, <laughs> there, at, at one at one camp, Todd Ewan was in. Was uh, no way all of them at camp. the same time? 
they were in Edmonton. Todd Ewan was in Edmonton's camp. Him and I became friends um, and uh, just hanging around the thing. And one day at the end of the camp, one time he grabbed me, shook my hand and he goes, Hey, Metter, one day throughout hockey, I hope we have the chance to go. And I said, <laughs> I'm in, I'll, I'll take that on. And, but Todd was a, a an unusual guy. And uh, there was a lot more to Todd Ewan than just the heavyweight. He was a, uh, very, very um, eclectic guy. Good guy. Yeah, I mean Todd Ewan, like he, he uh, to me, he's one of the one of the greatest of all time. Like when it comes to enforcers. Oh yeah, and he was good. Yeah. Wow, man. Wow. And then of course, guys like Marty McSorley, Cement Head Samako, those guys are legends, Scott. Yeah, Marty McSorley was my roommate um, for a long time, and him and I got along really well. And uh, I went, I, I played two regular season games for the Oilers. So I got to go to the, uh, the uh, closing of the old Northlands Coliseum. And Marty McSorley hunted me down and said, I was so proud of your career, the way you played in Rochester and stuff. And for a guy like Marty, who had a great career that he had, um, uh, it was very humbling for him. And it was very, very cool to hear that he's such a good guy that he he would check up on you know through the hockey news or whatever just to see what was going on yeah man that that's incredible like i'm sure i'm sure you were a big fan of marty being so young and being able to be his roommate at that stage of your career too right like yeah, going forward I, um some of the things that he taught me um especially as an 18 year old and 19 and um was dressing room etiquette how to be a professional like he wouldn't leave the dressing room until his equipment was perfect for the next day be it a craft a practice or especially a game he spent a long time in the dressing room making sure his stuff was properly and ready to go it was like uh he said to me a mechanic's got to look after his tools so i started doing it from day up one in that i would tell i would tell the uh Trainers, how do you want my stall? It'll be like that every day. It'll be perfect every day. And uh, that was one of the things Marty <laughs> did. And he was changing his laces one time, and he goes like this. I go, Marty, what are you changing your laces for? They look great. He goes, TV game tonight. Got to have the laces. And it just made me howl. <laughs> just made me howl. Hey, I, yeah, I guess so. And especially like a guy like Marty. Like, that guy was so flashy. Like, he was like a – like a skilled player playing the tough guy role with a flow and everything, like at certain parts of his career. Like, yeah, I he, say, uh, Kyle, Marty McSorley, top five tough guys of all time. Top f inching up on top five, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, really? I, I would say this though, on guys who could play like Probert McSorley could play for, yeah. he was a big part of that LA team going to the, uh, the, the finals is that Marty took a regular shift all the time. And you know what I mean? So uh, he's got to be up there for guys who can play. And I think yeah. that's a really important thing too, is, you know, a lot of guys um, were only, you know, 32nd players, but guys like Marty and Proby and uh, Rick Tockett, those guys logged some major minutes. So they have to be thought of in a different manner, in my opinion.
Absolutely. Absolutely. Like they're on a complete, like guys, like the, the, the names that you just mentioned, they are on another level because like you said, they were actually good players. And when we say good, we're talking about all-stars, man. Probert, Pro, was it just the one all-star game that Proby was in? I think so. And then I think, uh, you know, his troubles started to catch up with him. So, yeah. Um, but- but I think it, it could be a minimum of one, but we know that it could be I, – I, I'm not a stats guy, but it could be as many as three or four, too, you know. Yeah, I don't no, know. Exactly. So now, Scotty, man, at this time in your career, there, there starts to be a pretty incredible transition, man, because there's a big trade that happens, my friend. The Edmonton Oilers trade Scott Metcalf to the Buffalo Sabres. Okay, so now what when you got traded, Scotty, was it more like, okay, so this is a fresh opportunity with a place that doesn't have like the best all star team of all time to try to crack the lineup? Like, was it a relief kind of or were you upset that you got traded to Buffalo? Um, I think it was a little bit of both. Uh, uh, I. I really wanted to be an oiler because if I make that team, I can make any team in the NHL for an extended period of time. And uh, uh, unfortunately my career didn't go as well as I wanted to with the Oilers. Part of it was maybe a little bit my fault. I'm not exactly sure what they thought of me because I never spoke really to the coaches or anything. I, I was a rookie and I just, you know, we could joke around on the bus and stuff, but I, I kept my mouth shut, but the one thing I, the big difference I noticed between Edmonton and Buffalo was when I came up to Edmonton, guys like Mark Messier are saying, don't take a backseat to anybody. You're here for a reason. You're an oiler. You're one of us, that sort of thing. And every guy was like that. Craig McTavish, Marty, all the guys were great. Even the great one, when you could get a word out of him because he's such a busy man with things involved in hockey and things outside involved in hockey, like politics and stuff. I felt bad for Wayne that he didn't have much time to himself. But then we go from there to uh, coming to Buffalo and it was a totally different mindset in their top players that it was about me, me, I, I. And I I was amazed at some of the things I had just heard coming out of the superstars. I'm not going to say their names or anything, but it was totally different. I have to do what I have to do for myself in order for me to help this team. Where in Edmonton, it was all we, we, us, we do it together. And it was just a different mindset. Um, Maybe that's on an individual basis. That's what motivated those guys. But I'm telling you, Edmonton made you feel like you were part of the family right away. Well, getting the information that you're saying right now, it looks like the way of the Oilers is, is the way to be because all those cups consecutively, that's a dynasty through and through. So they definitely had the right program going on, right? And I'm saying that yeah, very absolutely. fantastic. Absolutely. <laughs> um, the, uh, the biggest thing about it was, and, you know, I was a bit of an outsider looking in because I wasn't really on the team, was to, that those guys trusted each other so much. They knew, like, you knew Kevin Lowe was going to, make a big defensive play. And to be honest, they left Grant Fuhr high and dry. And Grant Fuhr and I became pretty good friends when I was there too. And he's a great guy. He, uh, 
they left him. There were seven, five games, and he'd have like three, two on O's on him. And they, they, <laughs> they just said, ah, Coco will make the save. He'll make the save. He'll make us look good at the start of it. Near the end of it, it was like Edmonton played the best, uh, a good sound defensive hockey as well. Yeah, man. You just keep popping up star after star from that team, Scotty. Grant Fuhrer, one of the greatest of all time. Wayne Gretzky actually said he was the best goalie that he ever played with. I, I can see why. Uh, he he was – he did – he told me a story. Um, we were – we had a couple of days off, and we were in Edmonton. He, he took me to West Edmonton Mall, and we had lunch and a beer and stuff, and he told me a story that he wasn't even – like the Western Hockey League worked a little different. He wasn't put on a list or anything. Apparently, he just got on a bus and went to Victoria, demanded that they put him on uh, on the ice for camp, and became their number one goaltender. Really? I mean, who does that? I mean, wow. except a confident guy in his skill set. And if I remember that story correctly, Grant went there on his own dime, got on a bus, got to Victoria, I think it was Victoria. It was uh, it was Vancouver or Victoria, and he went into camp without an invitation, without anything, and made the team and became their number one goaltender and and on to that, that beautiful, beautiful career he had. How lucky was Victoria that that worked out? <laughs> right. Apparently, it was such a bad team. He was getting like fifty five shots a game, and we all know that that. If a goaltender is getting 55 shots a game, he's going to be a good goaltender eventually. Well, yeah, no, of course. But it's just kind of like, hey, why don't we just uh, let's look at the extra goalies here. Uh, Grant Fuhr. Yeah, Grant, here, here's your equipment, buddy. Like, uh, that's that's pretty lucky for Victoria that they walked into that, man. That, well, that's, I, un that's unreal. And <laughs> what? how about the balls on Grant to do that? Yeah. That's that's big. That's big cojones in my in my book. So now, Scotty, I mean, this team is just so hard to move past. So now, in in practice or even in the games, when Paul Coffey went around the net and started the crossovers, was it like magic? Was he touching the ice? Like, what was happening with Paul Coffey, man? Well, I'm telling you, he. Uh... He had gears that I don't think he touched very often, but when he touched them, nobody could keep up with him. I, he was just an amazing skater. And I'll, I'll, I'll sum this the Oilers up this way. Um, our camps were so fast that in my last year junior, they sent me down, and uh, deservedly so. I went down, and I was still playing. I got off a, I got off a train and uh, had a game the next night in Cornwall. And I was still playing at Edmonton Oilers speed. And I can honestly say this going back to junior, a simple outlet pass to me on the wall, and I was on a breakaway before center ice because yeah. I was playing at Oilers speed. And I sw my first night, I got a goal and six assists and was named third star. <laughs> okay, so... You obviously you had a goal and six assists. Is that what you just said? Six first person assists, and I was third star. <laughs> so you must they, those those guys naming the stars didn't like you, Scotty. What oh, what's no, up? Lots of fighting going on in Cornwall. Yeah, so 
Yeah. Oh, Marshall... oh, the game was in Cornwall. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. I understand that then. Yeah, they're, they they probably they definitely hated you, buddy. All yeah. those announcers from the other team, they must have wanted to rip your guts out. A guy that was as skilled as you that could fight anybody on their team. Well, it was it was. I I always said this every time I got called an asshole uh, <laughs> in the other team's rink. I was doing my job, and that's I mean that's. You know, I, I I tried to hit hard to wear wear defensemen down. I tried to be hard to play against all the time, and and I had to play hard against to get some room to to help my points. And uh, I wanted to be a bear to play against. That's all there was to it. Be hard, hard, hard to play against. Scotty, so following this timeline that we're on right now, brother, when you get to Rochester, man. Like, you made your mark right away. Like, right away, Scotty. A point per game, you pretty much did your first season with Rochester. And let me see. Uh, just a, So you had 51 points in 60 games. You had 241 penalty minutes your first year. That's how That was the impression that you made at the War Memorial, my friend. Yeah. I, you, uh... Yeah. Let's see. Well, um, that was the first year um, that Razor, like, I had a year ahead of Robbie, and Robbie and I were roommates with another guy, Kevin Kerr. We were a roommate, but we were a line. And it's really tough to explain is that we had 990 minutes as a line, but I had 20 goals. Kevin Kerr had 20 goals, and Razor started off with us with one, and near the end of the year, he had 10 goals. And But it was so comical that the other teams would put their tough guys out, and we'd score. Then they'd put their goal scorers out, and we'd play like the whole shift in their zone and, and run them around a bit. And at Use that them. time, Sheriff, the funny things are – at that time, five-on-fives were normal. The games yeah. took two or three, four hours to play because yeah. <laughs> five-on-fives were normal. You grab a hold of a guy, another guy grabs a hold of a guy. You, you might get an extra 10 for the extra fight, but that was it. And so I, I'll tell this story about Razor. Is, uh, we're, in, we're in Newmarket, and we had a five-on-five, and the mascot was bugging Razor and I in the, in the penalty box. So the mascot puts his hand on the glass and Razor takes his butt in and snaps it off the, the, the mascot's hand. Oh, so Razor, Razor's getting in his head. And I was a guy who had to fight not anger, but on the edge of anger and, and, and smart. I had to fight that way or I would have got killed. If I was all angry and sloppy, somebody would have killed me. If I had a fought, uh, uh, all technical and stuff, I would have got killed. But anyway, so the game, right, the, for some reason, the mascot is just on Razor's mind. And I'm going to get that guy, Metter. I'm going to get that guy. And I, I'm saying, Razor, it's a mascot. What do you care? So later in the game, later in the game, uh, there's a five on five with about two minutes left to go in the game. And we didn't get, you didn't get thrown out of the game and all that stuff for late fights or miss it the next game. It, it just didn't happen. It was just part of the game. And so a five on five starts. 
Razor and I get kicked out because there's under under two minutes left to go in the game. Well, it was the old bowl style rank at Newmarket, and as we're going off the ice, the mascot goes right by our dressing room. Razor <laughs> takes off after the mascot, and I go, "Oh no, Razor's going to kill this mascot!" Right? <laughs> so Razor's running down the hallway after the mascot, and I run after Razor, and Razor's got him up against the the jam of floor, <laughs> and he's gonna, he's Razor's gonna hit him, and I just grabbed. Razor's right arm as he's going to hit him. And I go, Razor, come on, man. It's a mascot. Leave him alone. This guy is like fucking with me. I don't care. I'm going to kill this guy. And so I grabbed a hold of Razor's arm and he couldn't hit him. Well, the guy's mask came off. It was a 16-year-old kid crying, saying, I only doing my job, man. I was only doing my job. Oh, <laughs> so I got Razor back in the dressing room, and that was the end of that. So oh wow. You guys were surprised though, right? You probably thought it was someone that was older than you. Yeah, we thought we thought, you know, we thought it was like just a a guy being a an ass right but he it wasn't like that it was just it was just what we did we were we were crazy i'm telling you razor had 400 minutes and i'm not so sure i didn't have more fighting majors than him that year i'm not sure but it was uh i i went i went i went cronin that year that was a big one cronin the barbarian i i think i surprised him i gave it to him pretty good I I surprised. I think I surprised him. Um, I I fought a lot of tough guys. It was one guy who got me good was Mario Roberge, not Roberge's brother, and he's tough guy. And uh, everybody was kind of staying away from him. And I said, I'll take him. So I first forty five seconds of the fight, I'm doing really really well, and then he hit me with a bomb right here, right above, and fractured my jaw. And I didn't know he fractured my jaw, but he chipped my teeth, right? So I didn't know. So I had to go to the dentist the next day to get my teeth fixed. And the dentist takes pictures of my jaw and he says, Metter, you got a fractured jaw. I said, you're not telling anybody. You don't tell Snacky. You don't tell anybody I got a fractured jaw because I'm not coming off the ice. And that, they let. And sure enough, the next night I got in another fight. Oh, my. With a f- broken face. Uh, it's not that pretty in the first place. It's not going to hurt it. (laughs) (laughs) Man, Scotty, man. See, what the listeners need to realize is just how cool the organization is of the Rochester Americans, man. Like, I just heard you say snacky, right? And when you said that name, it brings back such, such joy, such happiness. Like, Kent Weisbeck, man. He was my trainer for four straight seasons. He taped my wrist for me every game. The man is so passionate about the job. He's so good with the players, Scotty. Yeah, he must absolutely. have been, man, and he is so strong and ripped too, man. Like, you just get inspired by Mr. Weisbeck through and through. Do you have yeah. any snacky stories, bro? Yeah, you probably you probably don't know how he got his nickname. No, I don't. Please tell this me, is- Scott. This is this is great. We uh, f- back when I first started with the Amherst, this was our like maybe our second year, first or second year, and we had a lot of practices at Lakeshore. And at the time, Buffalo 
was calling people up and down all the time, right? But the only way they could reach us, because we didn't have cell phones and stuff like that, the only way they could reach us was by calling Lakeshore Rink. And there was a lady there who who answered the phones while we were on the ice. And her, and this is this is how it would sound. And I'm not, I'm gonna do give it my best imitation is Kent Weisbeck, Kent Weisbeck, can you please come to the snack bar? And so, <laughs> so we would hear that all the time. And and Jeff Parker, um, God rest his soul, uh uh I uh, picked up on it and and he would imitate the lady on the bus can't wind back to the snack bar and we and it, then his nickname was snack bar and then it slow, slowly got changed to snacky that's how he wow. got his nickname all right because man i know there's a lot of people that call the gentleman by that name by that nickname and i don't think any of them know why I was with the man almost every day for four years, and I didn't know why. Thank you, Mr. Metcalf. Oh, I yeah, no problem. That. I appreciate that. I don't know why I never asked him. I never asked him. I just thought, I don't know. I just thought for maybe all it was. The, for all the things that Kent has gone through and with his uh, um, sickness and stuff, what yeah. a classy man. And uh, I think the Amherst did right by keeping him on staff and Hall of Famer all the way. And uh, he's uh, he's uh, uh, he was a big part of my success. He kept me together too, Sean. He uh, he always had extra time for me. He was a great guy. I loved him. Yes, of course. Now, now, wh- what I think the cool thing is is, I mean, Buffalo and Rochester, they got some pretty cool staff. Now, J- Jim Pizzatelli. Yep. Okay. Now I know that he was with Rochester before Buffalo. I'm just not sure of of that timeline was did were you with pizza at all in Rochester? Uh, I, I was in Buffalo, but not in Rochester. Okay. Um, but in Buffalo. Okay. So you do have experiences with Mr. Pizza Telly. Yes. Yes. Okay. Because man, is that guy ever a character too? him and Weisbeck together? I couldn't even handle it. The, um, the, well, the thing about Jim Pizza Telly was, um, he really liked the guys who, who threw down, who scrapped. And if you got into a few good scraps, he would go out and get you a, a boxing robe that you could wear around the dressing room. So if you had a really good one, like Kevin McGuire had a big shamrock on the back, and some of the Amherst before me had some really nice uh, uh, boxing robes that he would hand out if you were hand, hand and he would respect you and all that kind of stuff. Uh, unfortunately, my robe never came, but. I, 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 pizza and I became friends because he knew how close Razor and I were and some of the guys on Buffalo and, and, uh, it was fun. Now, now the one thing that now you obviously know that, you know, we had Razor previously on the show and Scotty, is he ever a big fan of you, my friend? Oh man, does he ever love you, buddy? And I, and I, and I can see why, you know what I'm saying? And I, I knew why, but like you guys, were were so like it was like a brotherhood when you guys played together in Rochester, especially your line, right? Yeah. And man, it, it's just I I love talking to guys that understand Scotty because certain years in our career were just different from the other ones, right? And yeah. like to me, it seems like 
the seasons that you played with Rob Ray, that those were the years, man. Those were some of the years where the boys were the closest, where the teams did so well because it was just a brotherhood and the camaraderie of the team is just uncomparable, right? And like Razor, okay, sorry, go ahead, Scotty. No, no, I'm I'm listening. I'm I'm just with everything you say. I'm just remembering old stories. Yeah, <laughs> but listen to this one. You're really gonna like this. Then Razor told us a story, and he was trying to explain to the listeners and to me and Kyle just how close your line was and your teammates were. So Razor's telling us a story that I don't even know where you guys were. You guys are both fighting, so it's one of those line brawls that we're talking about, right? And you guys both have your guy up against the glass. And you guys are both throwing rights because you guys are both righties. And, you know, Razor looks over at you and he's like, hey, Scotty, what are we going to have for dinner later after the game? (laughs) You guys are both in the middle of your fights and you're having a conversation about dinner. And like, man, me having that role, there was only a few years where I had teammates like that. And I appreciate that so much. Do you have any comments on that type of stuff? (laughs) <laughs> it was, I'll, 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 there is a good story behind that. And this is what happened was um, when w- we got put together that first year, our team average team age was younger than RIT. We were no younger way. than the college team. We were, so it was a little bit of the blind leading the blind. We were trying to figure everything out. Right. And so we, we were 0 and 10 and we got it and we had to go on a road trip. And it was oh, in Sherbrooke. 0 and 10. We started 0 and 10 at that year. And uh, we uh, we had to go into Sherbrooke, and Sherbrooke had a tough team. And uh, and that was Montreal yeah. Canadiens farm team? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay. uh, so Boxy, we're losing. Oh, so before we leave on the road trip, the the WWE, but it was the w, yeah, it was WWF at the time. WWF, was, yeah was using the war memorial and so we're getting ready to load the bus up to go to sherbrooke and bobby the brain heenan walked by me and i i say hey brain how are you and he goes great and you and i go listen we're struggling right now do you got any uh any words of advice for us he says yeah get the hell out of rochester (laughs) 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 so wow so we get on the bus cool man we we get on the bus, we get to Sherbrooke, and uh, uh, we're struggling again. And they had a veteran team in Montreal or in Sherbrooke, and uh, Boxy goes to me, Matter, go to center. Boxy, I haven't played center in, since I was 16 years old. And and Kersey, left wing, Razor, right wing, or or vice versa, right? And uh, I go, Boxy, I go, Boxy, I'm, I, I haven't taken – taking a draw since I was 16 years old. He goes, you're not out there to win the draw. Okay. So the game was on. So I end up winning the draw anyway. And it goes to our D. It was a, a face-off outside, uh, offside face-off outside their their blue line. And the D-man puts a slow roller into the corner. And at that time, there was no trapezoid or anything. So the goalie goes out and plays the puck. He plays the puck. I follow the puck. And sure enough, Razor runs the goalie. Oh. And so, so all the <laughs> shenanigans started after that. And it was true. And then uh, 
Razor goes, where are we going for dinner after this as we're fighting? And I said, oh, yeah, Razor, we need groceries when we get home. We need bacon, <laughs> eggs, cheese. And we just, we just, that's the story. And that's how it worked out. And the other guys were looking at us like we were crazy. So it was, it was I fun. I couldn't huh. even imagine being on the receiving end of right hands while you guys are discussing what dinner and breakfast were happening. <laughs> <laughs> you should have you should have seen the guys' expressions. It was funny and and you know what that as young guys that was it was a little bit good that we used kind of humor as as uh, a self-defense mechanism, I think more than anything. So now okay, so that season you guys started 0 and 10, right? Yeah. How did you finish? We missed the playoffs in the last game of the season. So you um, had a really strong second half then. Yes, we uh, we got a little older. We got uh, we got some help back from Buffalo, um, and uh, there was a rumor that they were going to call us up as a line. Kevin Kerr, Robbie Ray, and I, and the veterans said no. The veterans oh, on Buffalo ooh. said no because the they didn't. On Buffalo. They said this is a rumor, and I can't. I, but I heard it from a good source, so uh, they didn't want to have to answer to our shenanigans uh, at another time or at in, uh, or later in the shift or something like that. Okay, fair enough. I thought that you were saying the veterans on the Amherst didn't want you guys, didn't want to let go of you guys. Wanted you, you know what I mean? But well, I mean, Moxie sure didn't. But um, oh yeah. Yeah, but uh, the uh, the uh, you know anytime your teammate goes up, you cheer hard for them and loud and uh, and hope that uh, your brother goes up and his career expands into something beautiful. Now, Rob Ray is is probably, I mean, because of what I know, he's probably the most popular Buffalo Saber of all time. Oh, absolutely! When it comes, absolutely, right? Okay. So, I mean, I wanted to say that, but then I'm just thinking of, okay, we know the French connection. We got, you know what I mean? But no, Razor's the most popular, I think. Now, Scotty, he started his professional career with you, right? Yeah. I would say that you're a big reason for him getting into that, man. He was part, he was on a line that couldn't have been any better for him. He got so much confidence with his brother in the battlefield, Scott Metcalf, and he got into that zone from his first couple years pro and glided into the Sabres organization. I think you have a huge part in that, Mr. Metcalf. I, 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 I'm just happy for Rob as my friend and, um, he's gone on, um, and was really successful and deservedly so. And, um, he's a friend and he, uh, I think he was really happy to have a guy like me on the team that could not only have his back, but stand in front of him occasionally to take the heat off him. Um, uh, whenever I, whenever I call razor or we text a lot now is, uh, he's, uh, he's a guy that, we went went to battle together, and and um, I feel the same way about Dan Frawley and Scotty Nickel. Um, the uh, Scotty Nickel, wow! The um, what a guy! The, the the I'll say this: Razor was not a good fighter when he first came into pro. I'll be the first one to admit he wasn't a good fighter. I fought him in junior, and I just I spanked him. Um, 
the uh however he blossomed into a, a very good fighter and the fact that he was the first one to figure out the jersey and make no bones about it everybody else was doing something different like with the big floppy sleeves or whatever and yep. goldie jersey just took it to another level and they had no rule for it so was he breaking the rules by our standards was he cheating and i say if you're not cheating you're not trying and that, that to me and then later in his career he had to fight the same fight as everybody else with the tie downs and stuff and he handled his own so i think that 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 when he blossomed into that fighter that he was was really good and i think the fight that turned him around turned him into that a believer is when he fought dave brown and he hit brownie on the jaw and brownie kind of you could see brownie was holding on and we all know how tough that guy was and razor caught him right in the jaw i remember the punch and he caught him and uh i, I talked to razor after the game and he said matter i think i can do this and i said go at it buddy go at it have at her big bad dave brown Yep. Holy. Now you see the T-shirt the that my co-host Kyle Warner is wearing right now. Yep. Now this guy is a Philly man. Philly is a, is, has a huge reputation in the American Hockey League. Do we have any Philly AHL Amherst stories? Um, I have a funny one. It's, and um, near by the time I was 27 or so, I, I, had, I was very strong. I never... I never took any supplements or anything, but I was very strong. I worked really hard in the gym, really, really hard in the gym. And um, I fought all the all the Philadelphia minor guys who were tough, who could play. There was a – I had like a rule like that you, you, that like you, could, who, you had to be able to play. But on occasion, if you were running around, I would answer the bell. I would just go and answer the bell, win, lose, or draw. I didn't care. But the uh, one time we're playing the Phantoms in Philadelphia in the old spectrum. And okay. we, I got in a pushing match with somebody and the, I loved the spectrum because the glass was so low that the fans could like just bark at you. Bark <laughs> oh, yeah. at you. It was great. I loved it. I loved now, it. So imagine I, this guy behind your bench barking at you, man. I, I'm, I'm quick wit though. I, I'm really, <laughs> really back, quick, right? right? So the guy, the guy, Hey, number 10, you suck. <laughs> and I go, wait a minute. You're stand, you're sitting there, you're 10 rows up, and you paid your money just to tell me I suck. Listen, buddy, I don't pay to watch you work. How about you come back with something better? And I tell you what, I'm gonna be back in here later in the period after I beat somebody up. And so he go uh, his fan mates just started roasting oh he owns you he owns you so i turned around <laughs> as my penalty ended and i turned back to him i said i'm going to be back now you better come up with something good and so i i skate off and sure enough i shift or two later i get in a little scrap or something and i come to the penalty box and i go well you got anything for me and he just sat down and shut up and just shut up <laughs> and so sure enough i uh, i was lucky uh, third period, I scored a goal and I went right up to him, right up to the class. And I went, I was blowing him kisses and stuff. And it was, uh, but I loved it. The fans in Philly are great. And, uh, I, I was this close to being a Philadelphia flyer. If I had gone one pick later, I would have been a flyer. Wow. 
Okay. You would have fit right in in Philadelphia. Oh, I know that. (laughs) I know that. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, man. So now, Scotty, we're going to come back to the ROC. Okay. What I want to talk about now, man, is there's another country on this planet that you're pretty familiar with. You've played a lot of seasons there, right? Yeah. The the country of Germany I'm speaking of. Oh, yeah. I love okay. my time there. You yeah. spent a long time in Germany. Now, was it is it was it six seasons or five? It was four seasons there and one season in uh in in Great Britain. I okay. Played for the Sheffield Steelers, so. Okay, yeah. right on. Okay. So it was, so it was five seasons overseas total. Yeah. Right on. Okay. So, so now, yeah, yeah, please go ahead. Please go all ahead. Right, Scott. Yeah. So what happened was for some reason, I'm 23 years old and nobody wanted me. I have no idea why I, I don't know what I did or, you know, I have no idea what I did wrong or whatever. And um, my agent said, you know, what would be good for you. Go to Europe for a year. And I said, well, why? And, and he goes, well, to be honest with you, you're never going to come off the ice. You're going to play a lot. And so I went over there, and I, I started in Duisburg, and the team went bankrupt. The team oh went boy. bankrupt. And so I'm standing over there, and I don't have a job. And then all of a sudden, this team called Weisswasser, which was in the eastern block on the east side of, of Germany the year after the wall came down. I played there for a little while. And at, and it was a rural, rural, rural city. And I I played there, but it was great hockey. It was fun. And I, at Christmas time, they moved me to Berlin. And that's where I settled in, in Berlin. And uh, started playing some really good hockey. And, and fortunately enough, that year, we won the second division to put us in the first division. And... Uh, it was just a great year. Uh, my wife came over to see me at Christmas time, and uh, we were in Berlin, and it was a lot of fun. It was a it was a really good year, and uh, uh, I I I quickly picked up the language. I could speak bar German, and I Come guess if that's way to, yeah, I it's very much like English, except compound words. It's very frustrating to read because of the compound words. But once when it spoken to me near the end, I was speaking almost like it was not grammatically correct, but my vocabulary was pretty good. And, and I could have conversations with German people. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. And, and like, you know, if I'm, if I'm somewhere, I, I like to absorb the culture and, and it was fun in Germany. The people are fantastic. Uh, they have a hard outer shell, but once you melt that hard outer shell, they're unbelievably giving and, and, and nice people. And Berlin's probably one of the coolest cities in the world as well, bro. Oh yeah. I'm telling you now, now, like when I, when I was playing there, the wall came down, like, I think in early spring, and then the next year, the Berlin Ice Baron went in the second division of, and the Berlin Ice Baron team that I was playing for was on the East Communist side. So every week, there was only two ways across into the uh, 
into West Berlin. There was two roads. Um, they were working on it, but you could tell the construction every day. Businesses just expanded like you wouldn't believe into the into the old East Communist side. And um, once again, the people were great. I had a blast, and uh, winning championships is always what does it for me. So that's for sure. Yeah, and I mean, you had a point per game there too, buddy. Um, tough to tough to do sometimes because. Uh, especially in the German league, a lot of guys didn't like to play on the road. So it was very difficult. It was very difficult. And they would just say, you guys have to score more. We're on the road. It's too hard. We, and, you know, and to be honest with you, I felt for the guys because a lot of the guys were holding down jobs and playing hockey. So it was, it was tough. So, but uh, you know, we were over there and just having a blast. A guy by the name of Mark Juris was another Canadian and we had um, uh Cheesy. Norman Rochefort was there. We had, uh, and a guy by the name of Yershi Dopada. And Dopada was a really good Czech player who uh, eventually ended up playing for uh, the Flyers. You remember uh, Dopida? Do you look Dopita? him up. Dopida was a good player. He played for the Flyers. Yep. Yuri Dopida. Something like that. Dopida or something like that. Yep. He played for the Flyers. Great yeah, player. We used to call him Yuri Dopida. Yeah, because he. Uh, <laughs> he didn't. He didn't leave the Czech the Czech Republic because he didn't want to leave his family. He could have been a he could have been a great NHLer for a long time. He's a good player. Wow. So now, Scotty, although you you were successful in, in at like this stint in Germany, right? When I was doing my research, I heard one interview that you were explaining that there was a time. And I believe it's this time that you were contemplating hanging them up. Yeah. Now, I don't know why, Scotty, but with the, with how well you did in Germany, one would think that you would have a ton of offers. But for some reason, that wasn't the case. That's correct, right? Yeah. So what happened was I got married and uh, uh, my phone wasn't ringing that summer and uh, I, I, so I had enrolled in Queens university or like not fully enrolled. I, I put a feeler out there because no, no job offers were coming. Right. So yeah. um, I was sitting at home and I, I find, I get a call and it's Barry Smith and Barry Smith is a longtime Rochester American. Uh, he was a redheaded guy and he um, obviously saw me play in Rochester a lot, liked the way I played. And he, uh, was taking over Knoxville in the East Coast League. And I I asked him on the phone. I got off the phone and I talked to my wife whether she wanted to do it or not. And I said, well, why don't we ask them if they can help us get our green cards? We'll, we'll go down. And when the team found out, because it was sponsored by uh, the Baptist Hospital in in uh, in Knoxville, that my wife's a physical therapist. So what happened was they needed physical therapists, so they sponsored our visa to go there to play. And so with the intent of working towards a green card. And so what ended up happening was I went down and played down there. I wasn't in the greatest shape, but what ended up happening was throughout the year I was getting in better and better shape and uh, playing better and, and – uh, 
uh, getting my love for the game back. And that, and that really helped me being in Germany and in Knoxville, get the love of the game back, just hanging with the guys and that sort of thing. And, and uh, one day my phone rang and it was John Van Boxman and I came back and played and he had all the Russians on the team in Rochester at the time. And they were pussies and they were getting pushed around and Boxy asked me if I came, would come back. And I said, sure. How much? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, man, Knoxville. Now we're talking, this is in Tennessee. Yeah, East Coast League, Tennessee. Yeah. yeah, no, 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 yeah. But but this is I just wanted to make sure this is the Knoxville, Tennessee. Man, you, my friend, did very well in Knoxville, Tennessee. <laughs> Not bad for a fat guy. I, I was overweight. I I I wasn't happy with me. I wasn't as professional as I probably should have been. Okay, you weren't you weren't as professional, but you sure played as professional, bud. Like you you had you had over a point per game for Knoxville, Scotty. Over. Yeah. Right, yeah, as well as racking up 140 pims. And I know you're not a 10 minute misconduct guy, so I know you were putting down the work, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I, I call it the heavy lifting, I don't mind doing the heavy lifting every okay. now and then. But let's call it for what it is, man. You earned the call from Boxy. Um, I think more than anything, that they sh it showed that uh, to go down to Knoxville. It showed that I wanted just wanted to play hockey, and maybe they realized that all I wanted to do was just play hockey. And I thought, I thought, you know what? And then uh, I, to this day, uh, I, I get the call and I'm going back, and uh, uh, Boxy goes, "What number do you want?" I said, "Is number ten open?" And he goes, "It sure is." And and uh, so I got number ten back and. Uh, when I went out for warm-up, my first stride on the ice, I got a standing ovation. Fans didn't forget me. And that was – that was uh, uh, it brought tears to my eyes. Um, I was getting – it's funny. Tony DeCesar picked me up at the airport. And as, I, as I'm going to the Holiday Inn or whatever downtown, he uh, – the song Right Here, Right Now by uh, Van Halen came on. And – there's no tomorrow right here, right now. And I looked at Tony and I said, that's it. I'm not leaving Rochester again. I'm going to be here for about five or six years. And I, and I, and luckily I was able to do that. You're definitely able to do that. And, and matter like you really took a big, big piece of humble pie. You got it. Good. Right. Going to Tennessee. Yep. The hockey world notice that this is a guy that is an elite player gets 25 plus goals a season point per game guy that will take on any heavyweight in the league and he's going down to the echl in knoxville tennessee and he's putting in the work he's putting in the work he's not getting the big bucks but he's putting in the work to show his love for the game you get the opportunity from rochester man you're back in the roc now you're back at home now, right? Yep. This is where this is now. This is where I believe, man, your career just takes right off because the numbers that you put up matter. The success that the teams had, right, in the following years, man, you did you ever leave your mark? What was this about a year or two before the Calder Cup win? Uh, about 
maybe three or four, three or four. Yeah, I think you're right on it. And, yeah. Okay. Uh, so okay. So now, well, I mean, okay. So your third season back, you guys won the cup. Now yeah. that was your third finals too. Is that yeah. correct? That's correct. Yep. We lost. It was interesting. We lost to Springfield twice, but they had different affiliates. So the Springfield Indians, the one was uh, Hartford and the other was the Islanders that we lost to. And uh, we lost, uh, but uh, you learn more from losing than you do from winning. That's for sure. The yes, finals, sure. When you're in the finals, you learn a lot more from, from losing than you do winning. So now let's get back, try to get into the mindset of 1996. Rochester, New York. War Memorial. Now, was the dinosaur barbecue going at that time? Absolutely. Absolutely. Dinosaur barbecue. You got all the locals all around, man. What was that city like in that playoff run? I okay. want to go back. Let's hear it. All right. Um, uh, well, it, it was an interesting story because at that, that year – um, about Christmas time, we were second last. And I think Portland was last, but we were second last. Um, we were a, we were a team, a very, very tough team, but we weren't winning games. We, uh, Steven Shield was struggling in that. Um, uh, he struggled so much that they sent him to the East coast to wake up, give him a wake up call. Um, uh, Habby Boulin came down on a, on a, on a, just to, just to get himself ready to go back to the NHL. And when Habby Boulin came down, we won three games in a row. And something happened that Shieldzo came back and saw Habby Boulin backstop us to three one wins. And he, Habby Boulin loved playing in Rochester so much that he said he would come back for playoffs, make playoffs. I come back. So anyway, um, after Habby Boulin, Steve Shields went to work with Mitch Korn and he worked so hard. He was at the rink early taking shots, working on his game. And all of a sudden Shields became um, a very good AHL goaltender. And we went on a run that year. It was something like, I, I hate, it was something like that we didn't lose in regulation in 20 games coming into the playoffs. And everybody knew that Rochester was going to be the toughest team to beat. We, they knew that we were ready to go. And at the at the deadline, they we traded for Rob Kahn. We got Doug Huda and Brian Holzinger at the at the. And we knew right then that we were going to go on a tear. And um, battling Dougie Huda as as many times as I did when he was in Adirondack, um, uh, I used to try to fight him every game, and he. Uh, God will, he was a warrior and, and hard to play against. And he came in the dressing room and he said, everybody, where's Matter? Where's Matter? And he walked right over, shook my hand. He said, finally, I get to play on your team. It's going to be a pleasure. So, and then we went on a tear. We beat, uh, we beat uh, Adirondack 3-0 in the first series. It was a best of five. We beat, uh, we beat the Cornwall Aces uh, four straight. Then we beat Syracuse in five. And then come the uh, the playoffs, we were we were up, we were up two nothing. We went into 
Portland. And it because of the travel, it was a 2-3-2. Okay. We won game five in Portland in overtime. Scotty Nichols scored. So we had coming home, we had two home games to, to finish it off. And we were pathetic in game six. We lost like 5-3 or 5-1 or something like that. And Torts was great. He came in. He goes, you guys had the yips. The next game, just come out and play and have fun. And we did. And uh, I have never been in a barn that's been rocking like that for a game seven. It was incredible. Absolutely, absolutely incredible. With Tortorella as the coach? Yeah. Holy. Yeah. And uh, he was very good at putting – X's and O's in the right place and getting the most out of his guys because he told you what he wanted from you and it was pretty easy. You went and did it. You're okay. But if you didn't do your job, he didn't like it. He, and he would let you verbally know in front of everybody else. But he also, he has quite the uh, resume, but also reputation in the NHL right now as not really being a player's coach. So I'm curious would, to hear, like, playing under him, ha, did you flourish in the system? Like, was there tough times? Like, any any tort stories of, like, him getting a little crazy maybe? <laughs> um, the truth is, torts asked you to do your job. When you didn't do your job, he would let you know. And it was, he'd call you out on it. He would do it in the dressing room where you're amongst your brothers. But nowadays, I think these these kids have been coddled so much um, that his abrasive style works for guys who want to get better and want to get be pushed because he pushes, he pushes at everything he does practice game. He doesn't, he believes that ice time, there's times to have fun joking around and stuff, but he's, I don't know if you know stuff about torts. He's, he's very kind hearted. He absolutely, he donates a lot of money to animal charities for cruelty against animals. He's, he's a really good guy, really good guy. But he expects from, if you don't do your job, aren't you supposed to hear about it? I'll give you a good story. This is a good one. I like this one about torts. And we were, it was Greg Walters, Ruman Nadur, and myself were doing the heavy lifting for Rochester. The Nigerian nightmare. Pardon? The Nigerian nightmare. Great guy. Great great friend. I love (laughs) that guy. Love that guy. Anyway, um, we're. We're, we're playing St. John's Maple Leafs. They're coming in and they've got guys at like mid early January. You have like 300 minutes and I'm going like this. They were young guys. So I never, ever looked at the other teams um, uh, lineup very often because I didn't want to have it adjust the way I played. You know, if I'm going to piss somebody off, I hope I piss off a goal scorer. If it's a tough guy. Okay. I pissed you off. Let's go. I don't care. But uh, what? so what happened was I looked at the stats of these guys and they had ridiculous amount of penalty minutes. And I so I rarely ever did this. I, I pulled Rooms and Wally in, into the old bathroom at the in the dressing room and I said, uh, 
who do you want? Who are these guys? And Room said, I hate this guy. I'll take him. And Wally said, yeah, I want that guy. So I had the other guy. So sure enough, uh, Wally goes out for his first like shift and the other guy's on the ice and they make eye contact and they go. And Wally just destroys the guy. Like, I mean, three punches him. Just like terribly, terribly outmatched the guy was against Wally, right? So Rooms goes like this. And this is all with about four minutes left to go in the first period. And Rooms goes like this to a guy. gets They, they get the nod on. And uh, uh, th they go and, and Rooms... <laughs> Beats the guy up quite badly. And then it's my turn. So I look at the guy and uh, I go, we're on. Let's go. Those guys went, we went. And I two punched my guy. So I come to the dressing room and I go, hey, guys, I couldn't leave you all by yourselves in here. And and so we're talking in there. And Rooms is a big burly guy. And he goes, Matter, that that's embarrassing. That Those guys were awful. And Wally chewing his gum. Oh, Matter, that was embarrassing. Who are those guys? They're not in our league and stuff like that. So we that was at the end of the first period. At the end of the second period, Torch comes in the dressing room, and he says this. And we're down 3-1. And he goes, look at you, goal scorers. Where the fuck are you? And he goes like this, those guys go out and do the heavy lifting. We're down 3-1, goal scorers, where the fuck are you? And he storms out of the room. Now, at doing my job, I would have gone through the end of the rink, through the cement wall for him at that moment, the way he made me feel that how important our job was at that time. And if you did your job, that's what you got. That's what you got from Torts. And if you didn't, he'd call you out. And it and it made, uh, and it makes the team come together because you're going to give the guy who gets called a tap on the pads. You're going to give him a pat in the ass. Say we can get this done together. Let's go. And uh, I I think Torts is unbelievable at X's and O's to put you in the right position to do your job. You just got to go out and have the will to do it. That's what are you prepared to do? Now I've also Scotty have had a couple coaches like that that made me feel like you know that my role was that important so i i definitely understand what you're saying brother randy cunnyworth was one of those coaches for me when i was in rochester he really let me know how important and how much like the job was appreciated by the team you know because oh, yeah. like like us scotty you know Cunny had to drop the mitts as well, too, right? He was a big-time leader, captain Ottawa, captain a bunch of teams in the NHL. And, and, you know, so he knows. He lived it. He went through the trenches. So I think coaches like that, Tortorella, I'm not really sure about his career, but, but man, oh, man, does it ever sound like he understands the role. Oh, absolutely. And and the thing is, and shout out to Randy Cunningworth. He became our friends in here because he stayed here in Rochester for a long time. We played ball hockey together on men's league's team late. And uh, one year we had Brian Gionta on our men's league team during the strike. The, the hockey at, at some of the rinks in town was unbelievable. We were getting fans for Thursday night men's beer hockey because we had Brian Gionta and people playing. So, um, But Randy Cunningworth, 100%, knew the game class act, total, total, total hockey man. And I, I really respect Randy Cunningworth. Oh yeah, man. Randy, I mean, Cunny, 
Cunny is probably one of the more respected guys in hockey, period, man. Like, just the resume that he had, how great of a man he is, you know, the family. You know, shout out to Greg Cunnyworth as well. Um, I was really close with the family, man. Cunny was like my like my second dad, man. Like, that's, that's how awesome. I felt. Yeah, man, that's how I felt about Cunny. And, you know, like, he helped me on so many different levels in my personal life and you know, like I, I have a lot to, owing to him too, man. So I'm, I'm really glad that his name came up. But Scotty, one of the things that I kind of really wanted to get into right now is, man, like the point that you just brought up about Lakeshore Arena and the fans and stuff. I don't think people really realize how big of a hockey area the Rochester area is, man. And like Scotty, I remember playing in a summer tournament in Lakeshore Arena. And, you know, I had the chance to have, like, the Whitmore brothers on my team, you know, the, the Derek and Wayne. And, like, man, the we got crowds in that tournament, too. And, you know, Rory was playing in the tournament. You had the Gianta brothers in the tournament. Bon Senior was playing in the tournament. Man, I felt like I was playing pro playing in a summer tournament in Rochester, New York. Like, man, is it ever a hockey powerhouse in the area, Scotty? Oh yeah, you you look at every year there, uh, and every generation is churning out good hockey players uh, out of Rochester. Um, Callahan, Callahan. At one time we had two captains in the NHL, Cap Callahan and Gianta. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, they ha we had uh, you know Rory Fitzpatrick playing. We had about five guys playing, and I. I I know the tournaments you're talking about, Lakeshore, the Beers of the World tournaments and yeah, stuff like man. that. I yeah. played in them we too. We all played that. in it. Yeah, yeah, we all played in it. And uh, the um, the uh, one time this team from Canada came in, team from Peterborough, and uh, wow. uh, they came in and they thought they were going to wax all the teams from Rochester. Yeah, and, right. And they they were they were weren't very classy. I'll just put it that way. And uh, so I, I went into their dressing room because I'm fearless. <laughs> I walked right into their dressing room and I said, listen, you guys, you need to understand this is Rochester, New York. There are two captains in the NHL from here. This is a hockey hotbed. There are guys who play college hockey all over. There's guys who play major junior A. There's first round draft choices. You got to realize this is a hotbed and nobody's going to stand for your crap. Nobody. And that's when I gave them, I'm a Canadian. I was on the team that brawled the Russians in the World Junior Championship. I am the assistant captain of that team. And you need to act with a little more decorum. And they get, eventually, uh, they got kicked out of the tournament. They weren't welcome back ever again. So they were fighting their own guys in the dressing room and stuff too. So it was, it was. Oh, so they were, like, they were a hot mess from start to finish. Oh yeah. And it was, <laughs> but like I went in there and told them, you better calm down or you're going to answer to me. So. That's yeah, no, 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 Scotty. It's interesting that you brought that up um, about the, the the world junior team that you were a part of. Because again, man, me being a stack guy, I mean, Scotty, you had seven points in six games in that tournament, man. Team I Canada. I was lucky. I was on a line with Brendan Shanahan, and he seemed to make something happen out of nothing. But uh, the uh, the other guy we had at center was Stevie Nemeth, I think his name was, and. Uh, he, uh, we, uh, we had a good tournament together. My job was to go to the net and dig the puck out for those guys. And, and, uh, it was, uh, and then, uh, the lights went out and life was crazy for a while. 
I was gonna say, so did you did you get anyone good when the lights went out? Well, I some of the things I did, I probably would have been arrested for in the in camera. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Now, so the listeners understand, we're referring to the notorious hockey brawl between Team Canada and Team Russia in the World Juniors. The videos are viral. Everybody's seen it. Man, was that wild. But, Scotty, do you know what I was surprised with? Man, the Russians, like, like they, they, they seem somewhat tough in that brawl, right? Like, yeah, some, well, of them, there, some of them. We all, know, we all know that the 72 uh, magic marker that was on the team was that they weren't tough enough. The Russians weren't tough enough. Well, to be honest with you, they are tough. In their own way, they are tough. You look at some of the defensemen coming up now, they're mean, they're tough, and they've learned their lesson about what it takes to play North American game. And some of the KHL scenes that I've seen via some of the fight tapes and stuff like that are pretty good. But I'll say this, is that they didn't have a chance at a medal, and it was a pure round robin. And it was a very chippy game. They weren't in the medal. We had to win by three or four goals, something like that. And we were well on our way. And But the emotions in that game were so high that it just boiled over. It just boiled over. And and uh, we, we they left the bench first. We answered the bell. And uh, I, I was in three fights of my own, three knockouts. And I did some other things that I'll leave over there. Yeah. So out of curiosity, being a Flyers fan, is this the same Russian team that got kicked out or pretty much the crap kicked out of them in, uh, in the spectrum? In no, uh, what you're referring to is uh, um, uh, when you guys had Dornhofer and all the guys and yeah. what you're referring <laughs> to is that was uh, the, the Russian red army team. Yeah. We were playing at the junior level, all the best players throughout the world, world uh, on the under 20 team in, in it's called the world junior championships. You ever get the chance to watch it on no, the hockey? I've, I I've watched the world junior championships a lot of times. I'm just saying in reference in time periods, uh, w- when was that again? 85, 85, 86, okay. 85, 86 in that range. Yeah. So yeah. it was a, it was about 12 years later and stuff. So, but they had, so they, they had didn't a learn team. their lesson. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> as us as Canadian team, we had a tough team. We had Everett Santa pass, Mike Keene, uh, Mike Theo Keen. Fleury, myself, uh, Steve chase on as guys who could handle themselves. And our coach was Burt Templeton, who was really, really famous for having very tough teams in Germany or in, in junior hockey. Yeah. Bro, man, Bert Templeton was the coach. Okay. Yeah. So, so Scotty, okay, man. So you guys are, you guys have this crazy brawl in, in the world junior tournament. So like what, what was the aftermath of that? Like what happened? What, what time <laughs> of the game was the brawl? What period was okay. it? I'll say this to you. And I, I, I guess after all these years, I can be really honest about it. Is the dressing room was they're gonna the dressing room was a chaos show because the players we get to go back out right we get to go back out and then it quickly came down with a decision that no that we were kicked out of the tournament right so we were like what's that mean we're kicked out 
we get the silver medal or whatever. The game's canceled, right? And they said, no, you guys are kicked out of the tournament like you were never here. So when that happened, I watched, and I couldn't tell you who they are to this day, and I don't know, but I watched some of the people from Hockey Canada start politicking right away. Right away. I saw them start looking maybe to hold on to their jobs, and they started trying to push the blame on, on Bert. And oh, and so I, I was assistant captain on the team, and I stood up and I told them all, listen here, I'm sick of this politicking already. It's not our fault. The Russians left the bench first. First. They went towards the fight. The Russians left the bench first. Start standing behind us. I said that in addressing it. And uh, Bert Templeton's wife heard me yelling at everybody in the hallway. And so this was in Piastani, Czechoslovakia. So we immediately have to shower. And as we're going out of the thing, they had armed uh, uh, army men. They had yeah. guys with Balishnikovs standing yeah. in the hallway ready for anything to happen. Well, nothing's going to happen. We're hockey players for goodness yeah. sake, right? So we get the armed escort out of the country. So we get to the – we were going to spend the night again at the hotel in Piastani, but they said, no, you have to get out of the country. So we yeah. went back. We went back, got all our stuff, loaded the bus, and out we go. And the truth is the uh, we got to the border and we got to the – and we, a lot of us were drinking and we on the bus and we got to the airport in Switzerland, I think it was, or, or, or Austria or something like that. And, uh, we, we had no place to stay. So we packed all the bags in the thing and we had guys sleeping on the bags and stuff like that all night in the airport because we brawled the Russians and stuff, but it was quite compelling. And then on the flight home, it was, there was hardly anybody on, on this flight. On the flight home, uh, we all started talking on the, on the plane, a whole bunch of us. And I was sitting beside one of the head reporters. I don't know how that happened. And I said, the interesting thing I'm most interested about is how the Canadian fans are going to accept us. Are they going to say that we're terrible kids or, or are they going to embrace us? And... Uh, and Mrs. I, I couldn't remember her name. Mrs. Templeton came up to me and said, thank you for standing up for my husband and all this kind of stuff. And he kind of made me the official spokesman for if they had any, but it didn't work out that way. But so what ended up happening was uh, we get back to Canada and we got, I don't know, a thousand people there cheering us on. And it was really cool, really cool. And then uh, the next day I got to go on Canada AM. And uh, with uh, with Sean Simpson and talk about it and and I you know kudos to Grapes for standing up for us and stuff. But it was a it was very very political for a very long time. And Harold Ballard, I still have the medal right over there on my fireplace. Uh, he gave us gold. Here, I'll get it. You got to see this. Hang on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get that medal, Scotty, because 
This is a this is actually a really big part of World Junior history. Um, it's the infamous brawl between Canada and Russia, man, and like the aftermath and the fallout is what I find to be very interesting because it's never happened before and it'll probably never happen again, Scotty. No, this is what he got us. Um, I don't know if, if, if it's doing it any justice. It's a, it's a solid gold maple leaf. Yeah, you can hold it a little bit higher, Scotty, and we'll oh, probably yeah. do a pick of this. Yeah, no, that's great. Hold it beside your face, Scotty, so we can see your, so, your model face with yeah. the metal. <laughs> model T face. And, but on, on the front of it says the Maple Leaf forever. And Harold Ballard uh, got us at the old uh, Leafs boss. Yeah. Much, much hated, much loved. Uh, yeah. But I'm telling you, he was a true Canadian, and for him to buy these for us out of his own pocket – was incredible and uh you know it, it's got a place honor on my mantelpiece so it's just uh it's just sometimes we don't know every everything about everybody do we for him to do something like this exactly and i'm glad that you shared that scott because that's very exclusive information man that that happened that that's incredible <laughs> that's incredible now and me me and kyle being big supporters of grapes of don cherry Love um, him. Yeah, so he he spoke up for you guys. Eh? I'm sure he stood up for you as as the kind of guy he is sticking up for his teammates. Well, he well, grapes was uh, grapes was the um, Brian McLean, I think it was at the time, uh, uh, was a CBC news guy, and he was doing the game with grapes via via satellite, right? So they were yeah. back in the studio and. Um, Williams was saying it's a black day, black day on Canadian hockey. And thank God for grapes saying it. They're young kids. Don't put this on them. And grapes had her back the whole way. And I, I, to this day, I, <laughs> I've got a bit of history with Don. He didn't know it, but uh, I, for a while I lived in Streetsville. My mom would wake me up and we'd go to church and him and Rose would be in the front row, and my mom and I would be in the church at the same time. I never introduced myself or anything like that, but he uh, he's uh, he's he's a good man. He is a good man, and and I'm I'm glad that you shared that. That's pretty cool. So you got to go to church with Don with 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 Mr. Yeah, Huck well, you don't bug a man when he's at church, right? No, you know? exactly, exactly. <laughs> but you know what, Scotty? I was such a big fan, man, over the top fan that I think I would have just. Maybe just pretended. Maybe during like like the when we were putting the money in the thing, I would have just pretended that I dropped my change and be like, "Oh, sorry, Mr. Cherry, uh, uh, you're here, Mr. Cherry. Do you mind if I get an autograph real quick?" <laughs> but his it's amazing. His his career kind of mirrors mine in many ways. Is that you know he was Kingston, right? That's where he's from, and I played yeah. junior hockey in Kingston. I yep. got to meet him there a few times, uh, and then, uh, of course, his Rochester roots. Yeah, and it just it, it just and so many. He's got friends that he still stays in touch with from here who were part of the Rochester Americans organization, who are now my friends. So it's it's his career has kind of mirrored mine at the minor league level and stuff. So it's really interesting, you know. And I love grapes, and I. And I just wish one day he had to give me a kiss on the cheek if I had a 
played hard and fought enough on hockey night in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that have been something? Yeah. yeah. And the reason why your career is a mirror, buddy, is because you guys are team guys. You guys are team guys. Rochester was the mainstay in both of your careers, as was mine. And Scotty, like, I'm hearing these names that you're saying. And the one thing I really wanted to, like, I like I know we're over the time limit, man. We're definitely going to have to ask you for a part two. Because I'm, oh, yeah, I'm only about halfway through my thing here, Scotty. But <laughs> the one thing that I just kind of wanted to, just to kind of, you know, magnify a little bit is the community. The community, the hockey community in Rochester, man. Now, I decided to stay in Rochester the summers between the seasons that I lived there because it's only a three hour drive from Toronto. And, you know, I could go home whenever I wanted. I loved the community so much. I worked in the summers there. I ran hockey schools there, Scotty. Now this is me looking at a player like Scott Metcalf that made the city of Rochester a part of his life. And that was part of the reason why I was motivated to stay as well. What point was Rochester really your home where Toronto really wasn't your home anymore? Because I know that that's the case now. What point did it turn into that, Scott McCaff? I know that's the case, Scotty. I live there. I know what it's like. That's a great question. I know. Um, (laughs) I just, I think I kind of knew it before I retired. I kind of knew that we were going to stay in Rochester. Um, My wife likes it. Um, my kids. Where's love she me. from? She's Where's from, she from? Uh, Brampton. Bramley. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. So, Bramley Blues. Yeah. Um, she, for all five foot six of her and 110 pounds, she can sure put the hook in my mouth and I do exactly what I'm told to do. Not always, but I, I do what I, I'm, I'm asked to do. And, uh, she, <laughs> she kind of let it know that it's okay for us to stay in Rochester. And it took me a while to get my green card after hockey, but it went through, I got it and we've just made it our home. And she's uh, she's an amazing woman. Uh, She kept our family together. She's an amazing woman, amazing mother. I've got uh, my sons at Yale med school. My, my daughter wants to be a vet and she's working through school for that now. And my youngest son just graduated high school and he's going to be a physical therapist. That's absolutely fantastic, man. But let me get one thing straight here. So I'm talking to the all-time penalty minutes leader for the second oldest team in the AHL. 65 years plus in the league, and you have the most penalty minutes of any player to lace up for the Rochester Americans. And Mrs. Metcalf runs your show. Here's a story for you. You'll love this. You'll love this. I'll sign off on this story. It's a good one. Um, I wasn't playing very well for a stint. I wasn't playing well at all. And I wasn't one of those guys who didn't take hockey home. Hockey was right, right on my chest, on my sleeve, on my face, whatever. Hockey was there. And I got snippy with her a couple of times. And she finally said, what is wrong with you? And I said, what? You don't know? And she goes, no, what, what's wrong with you? And I said, uh, I'm, not, I'm not playing very well. And my wife turned, turned to me and said, 
you're not being as big a prick as you normally are. And I looked at her. Okay. And I went, what? <laughs> being as big a prick as you normally are. On the ice. Yep. On the ice. That's what she meant. Yeah. yeah. And I went, okay. So next game, <laughs> I felt sorry for my opponents because somebody was getting beat. <laughs> wow. So she kept you honest, Scotty, right? Throughout this incredible run for this historic team, your wife kept you honest. Yeah, and my mom was a tough, 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 tough lady too. Uh, uh, I've got more stories. If you want to hear it, I'll say it. Is uh, We were playing in Belleville, and Belleville had that Olympic-sized rink. Oh, and, yeah. And we used to get killed in there in Kingston, like losing, honestly, 11 1, uh, 9 3, terrible, terrible, lopsided. And we'd always end up brawling. So I finally said to all our teammates, we come here and we've done it the same way the whole time. It's not working. Tonight, nobody fights. So nobody fights. And we finally get in a game. They get an empty netter. We lose the game 5 3. I have a goal and assist. I'm named the team second star. I go out. I got I'm walking all proud, chest out. I, My mom and dad are there. And my, my dad won't talk to me. <laughs> my mom won't talk to me. And I go, what is wrong with you guys? I, I just was second star. I had a goal and assist and a 5-3 loss. And my mom said this flat out to me. I didn't drive two and a half hours to watch you play like a waltzing Matilda. And, the, <laughs> and, and that's my mom telling me that I wow. had to take effort. So, yeah, man. Hey. Yeah, that's, that's quite and that's the way it was. Yeah, man. Scotty, man. I like I I I know Kyle feels the same way. We feel blessed to be able to hear these classic hockey stories, man. That's a privilege and a half to hear some of this national team, Edmonton Oilers. Man, I, 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 want, I just want to thank you. But listen, I say this to a select few. Scotty, you're coming back for a part two, right? Anytime you want. Uh, honestly, this was a, you know, it's very kind of um, cathartic to be able to speak to you guys in this way that, you know, um, I think we all are going through a, uh, a lot of us guys who played that way are going through some problems and there are days where I have dark days. Um, there are where I just need to sit in, in a room and watch TV quietly with no lights on and stuff so that my head stops and calms down. And, but I wouldn't change it for a goddamn thing. That's right, man. That's right. Mr. Amherst. Mr. Amherst, Scotty Metcalf, all-time penalty minutes leader, Calder Cup champion, all-around good guy, man. What a <laughs> what a guy! I looked up. I I I'm talking in past. This is present. I've I've looked up to you, man, for a long time, man. Seeing your name on number one, it's quite something, Scott. And the thing is, man, is you earned every single one of those minutes, man. I uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I I tried not to cut corners. I tried not to. Cut corners. Scotty, I I want to thank you again, bro, for being our special guest. It was such an honor, man. Kyle, do you have anything for Scotty? Oh man, it was a pleasure meeting you, Scott. Hopefully, one day My we pleasure. get to meet up in person and have a a, a couple beers. A well, couple? Who are you gonna scare with that? 
Ah, <laughs> you guys are on the same friendly. side of the border. Hey, Kyle, you what guys are on the same side of the border. So this is one of the guys that you could actually meet up with, man. Yeah. How old are you, Sean? I'm 39 now, buddy. I'm a 1982 birth year. Okay. Uh, my younger brother, Jason, played for the London Knights. Yeah, you're Knights. talking – yeah, and, and he got the tryout with the Amherst. Yep, yep. Right? He, yeah. I just – I was wondering if you played against him it, much at all. Yeah, but that was the London Knights guy, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I remember that. The year that he came, Scotty – we actually, that was the year that I almost made Buffalo, man. I was the last cut. So, of course, I'm the big shot with Miller and Gostead coming back right at the right before the NHL season started, right? And then so your younger brother, my best friend, Dan Sullivan, was also an invite to that camp. Your younger brother and Dan Sullivan 100% should have made that team that year. They just didn't have the room. There was so many Buffalo guys, but they played so well, man. And I, re I remember I had a little injury, and he, and he kept saying, Metcalf kept saying to me, so you're going to earn your paycheck today or what, man? You know what I mean? And I remember saying, man, I wish I could get out there. I just got this sore ankle, and Buffalo babies the guys that are the last cuts, right? So yeah, yeah, man. But Scotty, it was such a pleasure, bro. I, I I'm going to be harassing you a bit. I got to pick your brain a little bit more aside from the show, but yeah, I want to thank the listeners again for tuning in to another episode of the sheriff podcast with special guest, Mr. Amherst, Scotty Metcalf. Woo. <laughs>